Okay, so I'm going to uh, carry on where I left off this morning. If you were here, I trust uh, perhaps most of you were. Uh, so, First Kings chapter 17, we're going to go beyond one verse uh, this evening. Uh, this morning, as you're looking that up, uh, we were looking at what is a true prophet. Uh, we were seeing that a prophet isn't just a wise guy, but someone who hears from God, is God's uh, spokesman. And uh, we see that, especially in the Old Testament, uh, they were addressing God's own special people. And uh, we underline the special relationship God had with Israel. They were the light of the world at that time. They carried within them the promise of the seed, the Messiah who would come. They held world history in their hands. They were to shed God's light to the nations. But tragically, by the time Elijah came on the scene, which was some 58 years after Solomon's reign, where the nation really did reflect something of God's glory, they really were celebrating how great God was under David and under Solomon, but with a change of some seven kings in 58 short years, by the time Elijah came on the scene, the worship of Yahweh was now illegal. The people who were supposed to be shedding the light were no longer allowed to worship their God. And they are God's representative nation. They are God's way of blessing the world. They are meant to be the ones who carry the presence of God with them. But there's been such a phenomenal reversal that now they're not even allowed to worship their God. Their prophets have been slaughtered. Jezebel has come in with terrific authority and is establishing a different kind of religion. And we saw that Israel is also a voice to us and in a sense reflecting what's happened to the whole human race who were made for the glory of God. Made to reflect his image in his likeness for his glory. And yet tragically having turned away from him and professing to be wise became fools. And we've lost our sense of direction. We've lost our sense of meaning. Why we're on the planet. What, what history is about. What huma- humanity is about. So that uh, famously Queen, the great uh, rock group, sang out, nothing really matters. And the drug culture echoes that. And the whole sense of what's the point. And the suicide rate among the young just keeps on going up and up and up. Because why are we on the planet? What are we here for? And we've become futile. That's what's happened to the whole human race. We see it in Israel as a kind of story group that keeps showing us how God works. And God works by sending a prophet to them. He raises up Elijah. And Elijah, I believe, for us, should be seen as a type of the prophetic church. Then we hear about guys being stirred to go to Mauritius. We'll hear tomorrow about going to PE, going on mission together. We'll sense, yeah, we're meant to be a prophetic community. We're meant to be like Elijah. Elijah, we're told, is a man like us. Now, we want to become men and women like him. And so, let's just look and see what happened. We'll read just a few more verses this evening. Uh, just the first ten verses. I'm reading from the NASB. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there should be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that 
you will drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for its relevance to us today. Lord, we bless you that you've not forsaken your people nor your purpose. We thank you it's your plan that your glory will fill the earth. You've declared to your son, sit down till I make your enemies your footstool. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. We thank you, Father, there's covenant understanding between Father and Son as he shed his blood that the nations would come, the inheritance would be his. We come to you, Lord, in this moment of time, this historic season, when we find our own faith is being outlawed from our universities, our schools, our culture so much of the time. And Father, we come to you, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to be upon us, as you, even in our day, seem to be shaking so many things, and hearts are failing them for fear. Lord, as banks are closing, and Lord Jesus, as the money system comes under huge pressure around the world, Lord, we bless you that you're the one who can speak in the midst of chaos. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you please speak to us tonight, just closed in with you here. Thank you for the riot of joy and worship we brought to you tonight, the sense of your beautiful presence with us. Holy Spirit, we just draw near to you now. Be our teacher. Come and inflame our hearts. And Lord, straighten out our motives to your glory and to your praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Elijah, having delivered his message, as we saw this morning, having confronted Ahab with the word, it's not going to rain until I say so, be like in our day, saying, this financial problem will not be resolved. It just isn't going to be. I've prayed, and it's not going to be resolved. They try and plug it here, they try and plug it there. It's not going to be resolved. There's going to be a real smashing of the culture. That's what Elijah prayed for. He'd already prayed, Lord, stop the rain. In other words, in an agricultural uh, situation, he's asking for chaos. And it'd be like us saying, Lord, let the oil prices rise, let the banks fall. Lord, just bring the chaos you need to, to arrest attention. And then the word comes to Elijah, and he's called to personify the obedience that God is looking for. He's not just a mouth and a voice. He's not just a man uh, proclaiming values and uh, uh, complaining about society. He's not just uh, uttering words. He now has to model a lifestyle of what God is looking for. He is now going to live a life of obedience and faith. He's not affected by the culture. He stands out from the culture. He's like an alien among them. He stands before God. He lives in relationship with God, as the whole nation should have been. But now he's going to live out a life of 
faith. Not just complaining and warning and criticizing or just threatening even. And not just in moral correctness, if I can put it that way, but in reckless obedience to what God says to him. In fact, he becomes actually like another Abraham. Remember when God started the whole plan? When there was no people of God. God came to a pagan and said, Now arise, leave Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham believed God and responded to God and lived by responding to God in faith. That God said, come and do this. And he said, okay, I'm with you. I'm going with you. And you know, that's what the people of God are. The people of God are people who hear God speak to them. They rise up and say, yes to God. It's not just about correctness. It's not just about a list of rules and regulations. It's about a personal relationship with a God who invites you to a pilgrimage. And Abraham was like that. Abraham heard God say, now, get up and go. And he got up and he started what became a great nation and then out from the Christ of that nation among the nations of people. A man who began to respond personally to what God was saying to him. And so now we find here Elijah is invited to a kind of a risky journey. He goes to see Ahab, but when he speaks to Ahab, he's got no exit strategy. You know, you go and confront the king and then you say, uh, and then what happens? God says to him, go and speak to the king. You know, it won't rain till I say so. Uh, what happens next? I'll tell you when you get there. And you find it's like that with Elijah. You find again and again, arise and go, and he goes. Arise and go, and he does it. Because this man now is not just a voice, he's a model of the life of faith. He's a model of someone who lives before God, who does it God's way, who is responding to God's word to him. And that must deeply characterize the people of God. That although we love one another and we believe strongly in church and all the community of the people of God, at root, every one of us has to be like the wise man who hears the words of Jesus and does them. Jesus says, the wise man hears my word. He's like a man who digs down and builds his house on a rock. And that's to be the characteristic of each of us that right at heart we know we're trusting in God. And if God does please to shake everything in our generation, if we do find things just get worse and worse and worse as they have in Zimbabwe and the very, it looks like the, great, the floor has fallen out. It's so important that we have dug down and laid a foundation. The wise man is building on the words of Jesus. He who hears these sayings of mine and lives by them is like a man who digs down and builds on a rock. And Elijah is choosing in the midst of the chaos to do what God tells him to do. That's his lifestyle. And I want to underline again, it's almost like God's gone back to what he did with Abraham at the beginning because this nation has forgotten who they are. They're meant to be the children of Abraham. They're meant to be like Abraham. But they've lost it completely. And so God is giving them another model of a man of faith. And I do believe, beloved, that as we speak to people, whether it's as we, we, we're flying into Mauritius or in the workplace where we are, people are looking for not just correct people, not just legalistic people, but people have got their own personal testimony of what it is to follow Jesus. 
to hear his voice, to obey him, to find, yes, I'm at peace, I'm coping. Why? Well, I'm trusting in Jesus for myself. And that's what we see happens for Elijah. He's going, uh, no longer just speaking against Baal, if you like. He himself is going to model a life of faith in God. That's how Jesus started with his disciples. Jesus just spoke to them, follow me. And guys left their nets or left their tax job, as Matthew did. And they just followed him. He was laying the foundations of a new community who built their lives around him. Follow me. Come and be with me. Come and take my words as like rock to stand on in the midst of all the shifting sands. And it's very important for us to see that. We're not just to be out of step with the culture. Elijah was out of step with the culture. As we said this morning, you know, the aliens have come and it's us. We're out of step with the culture. But it's not just that. You see, you could say the Pharisees, they were out of step with the culture. The Pharisees, with their robes around them, wouldn't have anything to do with these sinners. And even Jesus, when he mixed with them, as a friend of sinners, that was not a complimentary statement. That wasn't uh, in the way that we say it. Wonderful, friend of sinners. No, the friend of sinners is a wine bibber. He, he mixes with the wrong people. So here's already a model of what it is to be apart from the culture. The Pharisees were modelling it. It had nothing to do with relating with God at all. And God is not looking for us to take that stance. He's looking to us to respond to his words to us. And to walk in faith. And so Jesus begins to invite guys not by giving them a kind of packaged message thing, but let us come with me, follow me, do this, do this, and take the steps that I put before you. You find a rich young ruler came to Jesus. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said some statements concerning the law, and he said, well, I've done that from my youth. It's like, well, if that's it, I've done that. But that's not enough. And Jesus said, right, sell all that you have give to the poor and follow me it's not just keep the rules it's trust me it's not just a yeah tick the box no will you trust me will you say what I say is enough to live on Abraham started that way just God saying go I'll show you I'll lead you I'll provide for you I will be the Lord who provides Abraham got to know God And the people of God are meant to know God experientially. Not just know about him. Not just know a few verses. But knowing him more and more. And our testimony will come out from the knowledge of God. And in the churches, when John in his epistles says, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men, I write to you children. In the house of God there should be fathers, mothers, who for years have, yeah, we've walked with God. We've touched him, we've experienced him, he's provided for us, he's It's not just we know the rules, we know the Lord. It's not just we've got everything ticked. We say, yes, we've trusted him, we've proved him, he's been utterly faithful, we walk with him. And so Jesus is inviting people in that way, and Elijah is living that kind of model. And so, God is looking for first a voice that comes to Ahab, and then he's looking for a life, which is one of trust and faith. And it comes pretty unexpectedly. Go to the brook that I have uh, 
that's there, go and I've, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. And so we've got an obedience that leaves the choices with God. See, he didn't get all his answers from the beginning. He didn't argue with God, I'll do this if you'll do that. He just did as God showed him step by step. After Ahab what? Well, we don't know. And Jesus said, now come on, follow me. And you'll find that sometime there was a word, well, can I just go and first look after my ancient parents? And Jesus said, no, no, no. But the dead bury their dead. He said, wow, is that, is that, that a kind of ruthless God underneath that kind and gracious Jesus that behind it there's a kind of harsh ruthlessness? No, what's there is a God who understands we have to make choices putting God first that sometimes threaten the very heart of our lives. And he knows without those kind of choices being in place we'll never actually make our way through. And so Jesus is looking for first place. He's looking for us to prioritise in all our decision making letting him be Lord. Letting him make the calls. Let him make the choices. Lord, I, I had always planned to go this way. Yeah, but I'm calling you this way. And sometimes the battles do come with parents who say, but listen, I put a lot of money in this to get you to get that degree. You got that training to, to be in the legal profession, to be in the medical profession. We didn't sacrifice all that for that. And God's saying, I'm calling you, I'm calling you. And sometimes there has to be a ruthlessness about us saying, no, I have to put God first. We have to break free. And say, yes, Jesus, you, you are the one who dictates where I go, what I do. We're never going to get this world mission fulfilled without that kind of ruthless commitment. When you read the stories of the missionaries of the 1800s, it's awesome to see how they just went recklessly putting Jesus first. There was a kind of recklessness about that generation. They just went and went and went. Putting Jesus first, letting him call the tune, letting him dictate which way they went. Jesus knows what he's doing with us, and it's he himself who provides the answer. And so, as I say, it's a kind of intensely personal thing. I remember when Wendy and I were at um, Bible College, uh, we met at Bible College, we got engaged there, and we're coming to our last term at Bible College. And we're just coming into the vacation before the Easter, the start to the summer. We thought, hey, what are we going to do? And uh, I had very good clarity about what I was not going to do. And there were several offers. Would you come back into the Baptist church? And I thought, no, I can't go back. I've seen something of the Spirit and this freedom we've enjoyed. The sense of new wine, I can't go back to that. Uh, would I join Youth for Christ? I was approached. No, I don't really feel that. And would you do this? No, I, I was getting very clear no's. I said, thank you for all the clarity, Lord, but where's the yes? You know, and, and we set aside some time to pray, and we were just waiting on God, saying, Lord, what is the way? Where do we go? We've got just a few weeks left, and we get married. Where do we go? What are we going to do? And I wouldn't really encourage this, because I don't think it's all that wise to just have prophecy when there's two of you praying. But I had a prophecy when we were praying together. And it was amazing, really, because it was completely the answer and no answer at all. Because as we're worshipping and seeking God, I just got this prophecy so clear. That Jesus just said, don't fear, I am the way. Stay very close to me 
and I'll lead you into what I have for you. And you know, as I said, well, that didn't answer anything. But, you know, it answered everything. We just went away from that saying, Hallelujah, Lord. You know the way. You know where we're going. I haven't a clue where we're going. But, you know, within a few weeks, the beginnings of the invitation that first got us on our journey came from a little group of believers in a town on the south coast. Would you come to us? And so on. But to me, it was resolved in my spirit when Jesus said, no, listen, I'm the way. You want to know the way? I am the way. And that must be bottom line for us. We've got to know this in our hearts. No, Jesus, you really are the one who's ordering our steps. We trust you. And if we don't know that, dear friends, we're constantly going to be uh, led by circumstances, reaction, welcome, refusals, setbacks. Oh, shall we go over here then? Or shall we go over here? No, Jesus is the way. And he's got to be continually leading you into his way for you. But it's a personal preoccupation with Jesus who unfolds things to you as you go with him. Amen? That's how it was for Abraham. That's how it's going to be now for Elijah. That's how it was for the disciples. They learned to live obedient to the words he said to them. And it was sometimes very strange. And he he would say things to them like, look, throw the net the other side. And they think, wow, that's crazy. You know, we've fished all night, but at your word. And they began to learn, if he says it, it works. If he says it, we haven't got any taxes, throw a hook in. Get a fish. Throw the hook in. Wow! There's the money in the fish's mouth. Go and prepare. You'll find a room prepared. I guess as the story goes on, then more and more, you don't see any hesitation or argument. He says, go, find a donkey. Okay, we'll find the donkey. Who knows where? Ah, oh, donkey. And then, go, you'll find a room. Oh, there's a room. Oh, it's, you know, when he says it, it's okay. At your word, we'll do it. And beloved, the church has had that. Right, it's not systems. And what we want to be in the New Frontiers churches, we are desperately not wanting to be institutional systems, rules, regulations. How is it you do it? What's the New Frontiers way? Well, the New Frontiers way is finding Jesus is the way. And learning, what is he saying to me? What does he want from me? And the experiment and the excitement, the enjoying, uh, enjoyable adventure of hearing from him and knowing him lead and guide, even as we've just been hearing about Mauritius, that sense of God and Emily's beautiful contribution here. You think, God, your lovely way in leading us. That's how it was for Elijah. Now you need to go, and he has to go, because God has spoken to him. He leaves God to make the choices. We need to understand that also, beloved, about doctrine. Sometimes guidance is awkward. Sometimes doctrine is awkward. Because doctrine is so out of step with a me-first kind of culture. Human rights. What we would have thought God would say. And you'll find people in our generation saying, well, you can't expect modern man to believe that. Let's kind of shape it a bit different. But we've got to say, no, Lord, what have you said? What is your word? We've got to keep listening to him. Not simply about guidance, but we've got to sometimes lay down doctrinal things maybe we've been raised with, things we've held dear and we've come to value. And when you actually line up with scripture, you find, no, no, that isn't what it says. And then we want to cling. We say, no, Lord, you show me. You show me. What is your word saying? And there's a real submission to his authority to guide, to direct, 
to tell us what we are meant to be doing. God wants that kind of obedience. And it's an obedience that is based on humility. It's an obedience that lets him call the tune, make the choices. It's obedience that's based on humility. If I was uh, Elijah at this time, I think I would have had great expectations, wouldn't you? You know, I've met the king, I've told the king, it's not going to rain till I say so. And I think I would then say, and now where, Lord? You know, is it a national tour? You know, do I, do I announce, you know, I am now up and down the nation from Dan to Beersheba. You know, I'm in Jericho on those dates. I'm in Jerusalem. Book in and hear me. I'm the one who spoke to the king. I'm the one who closed the heavens. It won't rain till I say, book in. It may rain while I'm in your town. I'm holding it. I mean, I would think that, wouldn't you? I'd expect... Wow, I just told the king, it's not going to rain. Where do you go from here? I spoke to the king. Well, this is where you go, to the brook. To the brook? That wasn't what I was expecting. I'm not expecting to go to a brook. I'm expecting to go and show myself. And the word is, go and hide yourself. It's not a very pleasant phrase. Go and hide yourself. You know, Faith and obedience that leads to Goliath falling down or faith and obedience that leads to massive breakthrough is pretty exciting. But faith and obedience that leads to now go and hide. I'm wanting, if I get to faith, I want some breakthrough. If I get some faith, I'm looking for some kind of reward that says, there you are, it works, there's breakthrough, there's fame, there's recognition. No, go and hide yourself. This man is going on a journey for himself. It's not what he expected. And you know, hiding yourself can be a difficult thing. And there can be seasons in our Christian life where we go through times of being hidden away. Even coming and joining a new church. Coming away to university. Maybe you came from a church where you were, you kind of shone. You were the golden boy. And then you come into here, and no one even knows who you are. And it's kind of, that's weird. I don't feel, I don't feel I know who I am. I don't feel I know where I belong. I don't know, I don't know how to operate here. It's strange. I feel like I've lost my identity. My identity was very clear where I was. Now, just in a lively church even, I feel kind of hidden. It can happen in all sorts of ways. It can happen to a girl who goes to university. Two things happen. She gets a great degree and she falls in love. And she gets married, has babies, and is busy looking after babies. Is, is this why I got a degree? I didn't expect I'd be washing this stuff out. And Are you coming to the meeting? Well, you know, it sounds exciting. I can't come. I've got to do this. Are you going to do this? Well, we're developing this. I thought you had that skill. Yes, I do have that skill. But at the moment, I have this priority which is pretty tough actually, but I'm learning it's a season of being actually somewhat hidden away. And how you handle that is part of God shaping you into the person he wants you to be. If we always fight against when God says, no, hide yourself. Just take that lonely place for a season. If we can't handle that, 
we're in trouble. Because God will use such seasons to shape us, uh, to make us learn, is this for me or for God? If this is what God wants, why should I want something else? If this is the way God is leading, why should I fight for something else? Saying, no, this is to glorify God when he said do this. And so our motivations are highly tested. I want to suggest to you that Abe, that uh, Elijah's motivations would have been very, very tested. He cares about the nation. He wants to address the nation. I'm a prophet, aren't I? Now hide yourself. Being hidden when your, your very gift is to speak is very tough. And we need to ask God's help as we go through situations like this. Can I ask you, my brother, my sister, are you good at hiding yourself? What happens when your voice isn't heard? What happens when you're not in the know? When your opinion isn't sought? When your assessment is not valued? When your influence is not felt? You know, when you're just uh, drinking from the brook, and a few birds come and feed you. You know, you think, what's the information? You know, these birds give you bread and meat, but they don't tell you what the score is. What's happening? You know, is anyone talking about me? Am I on anybody's blog? You know, what's happening out there? Someone <laughs> put me in the picture. Now you're not in the picture. You're not in... But I'm the one who spoke to the king, yeah, but now you're not in the picture. That's a hard thing to handle. Happened to David. David slew Goliath. Then he swishes through the palace. You know, I've slain my ten thousands. Think, here we go. I'm on a journey. And God says, yeah, you're on a journey. Wait a minute. <laughs> Cave of Adullam. And so the next thing we find is David is hidden in the cave with a lot of discontented people. I said, well, I thought I was on a... Yeah, you are on a journey, but God's doing something in you first. God, later on, God will say to Elijah, now go and show yourself. But first he says, go and hide yourself. And sometimes we, we feel, Lord, I, surely I've started, I'm on my journey. And, and, and often I've found guys, even when I was at Bible college, and then they went into churches, and we wrote to one another for a bit, and guys said, it's so dreadful here. The church I've come to is so difficult. And they thought, here I go to launch my ministry. And we're thinking about our gift and God's thinking about our character. We're thinking about my public ministry. He's thinking about developing a character that's safe, secure, so that when, yes, you call for fire to fall, you can be trusted with it. But God's doing stuff in us. And how we handle seasons of having to be quiet, having to be hidden, not getting the visibility, which is always for God's glory. Yeah, but okay, God's saying, hide yourself. It's a difficult one. It's a challenging one. And being hidden can come at times when we didn't expect it to happen. Sometimes when we, we found our gift is not being used as it was. Maybe you used to be the worship leader and somebody else has come and he's the worship leader and you're not now. That's hard. Sometimes people say, well, if God gave me this gift, he wanted to use it. I'm leaving. I'm joining another church where my gift will be recognized. And sometimes it may be that you prophesy in a meeting and people say, well, actually, 
you just went on a bit, started well, but maybe you should just have not gone on quite so much. Oh, I know it was God. God spoke to me. If you're not going to hear God, this church doesn't want to hear God, I'm off. Now, now, handling adjustment. See, humility is worked out, not often alone, but in the context of relationships. Well, how do you feel when you were left out? How do you feel when your name wasn't on the list? Why wasn't I invited? Why didn't you ask my opinion before? And why wasn't I told? See, that kind of thing is what wrecks church life, undermines harmony and joy, and the sense of God's presence and love and being a brotherhood. Because, well, you better be careful how you talk to that guy. You know, just walk around him carefully. You know, make sure he always knows. Or she, she doesn't like it when we do that, just always. So you can have it in a church, you're trying to build a church, and there's these people, you'll go, oh, watch out for her. Don't do it, she'll get very quickly offended. Watch out for him, he always needs... No, that isn't the way. The way is, when Jesus says, you just got to hide yourself for a while, you say, yes, Lord. And we take it on the chin, and we say, I'll go that way with you. Otherwise, we will not build church. We have a lot of individuals who are like, you know, just walk around them. Be careful with them. That's not changing you. That's not developing your strengths. That's not dealing with your weaknesses. That's not shaping you up. It's because we always have to adjust around you. And Elijah is dealt with. He said, right, you've confronted the king. You've been faithful. You stand before God. No one else is doing it. It's like you're the only one left. You stand before God. But listen, you still need to learn to hide yourself. You're still going to be shaped. You're still going to go through my processes. And we need to ask God, oh, help us, please, that we can handle such times, that we can go through such difficult seasons when we feel, oh, God, help me to go through. Help me in this season of feeling shut in. People who used to be busy suddenly feel, I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing these days. Don't feel I'm as busy as I was. Don't feel fulfilled. I feel I should be fulfilled. We start getting all sorts of strange gods like my fulfillment. Surely God wants me to be fulfilled. Going to the brook. I will feed you there. It's a time simply for listening to God. Doing it His way. Amen? Is God asking you these days to just take a quiet season. How you handle it. It's where we begin to see, is it about your glory or is it about my success? My sense of, I'm being admired, appreciated. It's for you, Lord, of course it's for you. But God sometimes just cuts a knife right through that and we begin to think, God, was it for me? Who was it for? Help me, Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? God needs to just keep working in our hearts and we need to learn in the midst of these things. And then we see this last phrase. He says, I have commanded the raven to feed you there. My phrase just captivated my attention. I'll feed you there. There's a place where supernatural provision is going to happen. There's a place I want you to get to and if you get there, you'll meet me. But to get there, you have to let me make the choices. 
You let me call the tune. If you will go to what I'm calling you to, you'll meet with me there. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Some of us fail to experience the supernatural from God because we don't get there. We don't arrive there, either because of uh, our rationalisation, our logic. Raven? Water? Doesn't mean, I can't understand that. And sometimes, you know, something God says to you, will you do this? And the logic means we would never experience the miracle because we don't, we don't go out with God. We don't let him call the tune. We don't get there. So we don't get the encounter. The ravens are going, are you going to go? I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. They'll be there. Will you be there? There's this call to be obedient. Sometimes it's rationalization, as I say, if this makes sense. Maybe it's pride or fear. Maybe it's just plain disobedience. The hidden place. I will feed you there. I will come to you there. For each one of us, dear friends, we've got to ask God, help us to make this journey. Help us to get to the place you want us to be. Help us to make sure that we're prioritizing to be where you want us. And when, we want, when, you, when we're in the place of your appointment, that's where the provision is going to come. That's where your breakthrough is going to be. That's where your supernatural touch will be on us. It's about our being in the right place for you to come and meet with us. And sometimes we take promises very general, but God is saying, look, they're quite specific sometimes. It's there that the promise is fulfilled. It's being in the location that I have ordered for you. I will meet with you there. So, obedience brings a revelation of God's faithfulness. Very often, as we obey, that we get more revelation. Sometimes people will say to pastors, God never speaks to me. You know, I've never heard from God like these people seem to hear from God. And yet, you know, they're not necessarily taking the Bible very seriously. They're not listening to the things God is saying plainly. That is God's will and everything that you give thanks. It's God's will that you live righteous. It's God. There's lots of things here. It's the will of God that you do right. It's the will of God that you give thanks. The will of God is being plainly taught here. And this is the one that God will look to, the one who is humble and who trembles at his word. So we take seriously what God says to us, we will get more revelation of what God says to us. Sometimes people don't want to even start listening here to what God is saying and waiting for some supernatural insight and revelation, but not trembling at his word. It's like they say, the machine doesn't work. And you feel like saying, have you plugged it in? <laughs> so I'm not hearing anything, but have you really taken his word seriously? Are you listening for him in the word? Are you relating to him? Are you letting him talk to you in and through his word, apart from other supernatural ways in which he may want to speak to you? See, faith grows in a context of obedience. It's when we obey God. I remember when I first uh, left secular work, I mean, God just made it so clear to me that I should leave secular work. It just called me. And I, I put down my job, and I, and I moved on to a housing estate, and I went from door to door, 
And I trusted God to provide for me. And I lived like that for two years. And no one had employed me. I didn't belong to any kind of an organization. This was before I went to Bible college. And uh, I was still single. And just week by week, God provided. And sometimes people said to me, you must have very great faith. And I honestly thought, I don't think I've got any faith at all. God just told me to do it. It was, I was not conscious that this was great faith at all. So honestly, I just thought God told me so clearly to do it. So it's his responsibility to care for me. I was so aware I'm doing what God told me to do. Therefore, he will take the responsibility. And I think sometimes we haven't got that awareness I'm obeying God. I'm locked in with God. And we get a bit lost. We go off on tangents. We, we lose the way. And then we're asking God. And we're wondering, why don't I, I have a, a faith that's working for me? Because we're trying to find a faith without simply obeying what he said. When we obey what he said, faith becomes much simpler. Because we think, well, I'm here because you sent me here. You told me to do it. That's in the hearts of Christian Bibles and Mike going off to Mauritius God you sent us here we're not having a go if we're having a go it's pretty scary if God told us then he would meet us there we don't want to have a go at stuff we want to say Lord if you told me then my faith can grow my expectation is from you we will see you make provision we can see that personally and privately in our lives and then we begin to see as churches, corporately, walking in obedience. God, you will give us this building. Lord, you will open this up. You will, because we have walked with you collectively in obedience. We're listening for your guidance. We're expecting you to show us, because Lord, we're doing what you told us to do. It's a partnership. It's koinonia. You know, sometimes we say, oh, we have fellowship in our church. We have a cup of tea afterwards. Well, the word koinonia... Fellowship is not just having a cup of tea afterwards. The word koinonia means partnership. It's used of Peter and James who were partners in a fishing business before they got saved. They were partners. And God is looking for us to be partners with him. In partnership. You do what he says, he'll do what he says. It's when we get out and we miss our way that faith becomes so difficult and sometimes seems so out of reach. And then we find just towards the end of the reading that I brought you, it says, then the brook dried up. And it's amazing, it says, the day the brook dried up, God said, arise, go to Zarephath. What is amazing is Elijah still there when the brook dries up. It's the day it dried up. God says, now rise and go. You think, what do you think it looked like the day before it completely dried up? <laughs> or maybe the week before it completely dried up. You know, every day you're thinking, there's nothing left here. <laughs> and you say, I'm out of here. I'm getting out of here. But the day, actually, the day, actually, there's no more. God says, right, now go to Zarephath. He's still there. Then it actually dries up. The thing about Elijah, you'll find this again and again, 
He's doing simply what God says to him to do. He's not making his own decision. We can be like that. You think, well, Lord, I love you. I'm so grateful the way you're taking me. I trust you. And you can sometimes feel, hey, it's great. I'm just following the Lord. And then maybe you see this guy and uh, he's not a Christian yet, but you really like him a lot. And, and you think, Lord, leave me, but, hey, leave me over there, Lord. <laughs> and, and then you, and what can happen is you think, well, Lord, I can't, I can't risk this. This is too important to me to leave you with the steering wheel. And so, Lord, just, just for the season, I know you love me, I really love you, but I can't trust it. I'm having the wheel back. We're just going over here for a while. Because we just, we can't wait for him. We say, Lord, look, look, it's nearly dried up. I'm not quite sure if there'll be another guy like him. Because, well, I'm not quite sure. But can I really trust you with this? This is running out. I mean, time's going, Lord. And that can take all kinds of forms and shapes where there come moments, I've got to make a decision, Lord. Where we grab the wheel back. Say, Lord, I just need this now, Lord. I've got to. And, and what can happen, dear friends, is we get away from that simple, childlike, absolute trust. This is, Lord, you guide me. You really guide me. You, you show me. I'm leaving it with you. I'm really trusting you that even when the book likes, it looks like I'm not, I can't stay here another day. But the day it dries up, now go. He was perfectly in control. His timing was superb. But the waiting can be so challenging, it can be so testing. Will we wait for God for that final moment, for God himself to break through? You see, when we take the world back, it leads to all kinds of uncertainty. We've lost the Lord, the closeness of God. I've been around long enough to meet with guys who have been pastors for some years, maybe gone from here to there, from here to there, and you talk to them, and, and I've heard this being said, I can't remember when I last knew I was in the will of God. Because we're in this church, and it got difficult, and then that door opened, so we thought, oh, we'll go over here, and it really went bad, so we went over here, and, and I, they said, well, I'm a pastor, but I don't, I don't know... I don't know when I was last in the will of God. I don't know when I heard from God. That's tragic. Because we're supposed to be following him. Letting him guide us. Letting him call the tune. Letting him take first place. Even when the calls are difficult. And even when the choices mean, well, that means I'm going to be hidden. My, my sphere isn't going to be felt. My voice isn't going to be heard. I'm feeling that if you're faithful, you're heard. If you put God first, you get success. Goliath falls down. No, no, no. Jesus, this is, this is my beloved son. Wow. Holy Spirit falls from heaven like a dove. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Wow. Now, what happens? Go into the desert. Into the wilderness. Huh? I've been waiting 30 years. Not into the wilderness for a season. Don't hide yourself. God wants to do a tremendous work with Elijah. Elijah's going to stand before a whole nation. He will show himself. He will do phenomenal things. He will mock 
the prophets of Baal. He will call down fire from heaven. He'll call down rain from... I mean, just breathtaking things. God's got all that in store for him. God knows where the story is going. God knows his plan for this great servant of his, this magnificent Bible character. But first, go and hide yourself. Let God test you sometimes. Let God take you on paths that sometimes are painful. You think, oh, how do I handle this? Where do I fit here? Maybe I should be just being quiet now. It's, t- it's costly sometimes. Very costly when you feel, but I know I could, I could do it better. I could. Let God make the choices. Amen? Because what's happened in Elijah's day is a nation who should know God have lost him completely. And so God's looking for a beautiful model to bring through. He's trying to start again. It's like another Abraham. And I believe in our day, dear friends, that God is looking for church that is not just slick and bright and efficient, but authentic. God's looking for authenticity. Real pure heart for Jesus. Real, real, what you want. What do you want, Jesus? So you touch these people, wow, they're all for Jesus. It's not we've got good at this, we're slicker at that now, we can do that. We're presenting something much more polished now. Now we want to be the best we can be, don't misunderstand me. But bottom line is, have they got hearts sold out for Jesus? That, whatever you say, Lord, that's what he wants. That's, what he, that's the whole point. That's what Israel was meant to be. They're meant to be a people. Whatever he says, do it. That was their uniqueness. That's what God wants in the earth. He's looking for people who will obey him, put him first, prioritise to let him make the course. God's looking for people who obey by faith. Because they trust him. They know his call is the right call. They're not fighting to make it work for them. They're saying, if God wants it to work for me, I'll trust him to bring it about, because that's what he's after. Let's pray together. I remember the old hymn we used to sing when I first got converted, and uh, I don't hear it these days, but it had these lines to it. You never will prove the delights of his love until all on the altar you lay. For the favour he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. It has a verse which says, what he says we will do, where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. You might say, what if I don't control the situation? Why? What if I don't control it? If it's not in my hands? There comes a, Lord, I trust you with this mysterious way. Elijah had to trust in a mysterious time. So strange, after confronting a king, huge issues at stake. Now hide yourself. Father, I just want to pray right now for my dear friends here tonight. Lord, we want to be, I want 
us to be authentic. We want to be the real thing. Please help us, Lord. Help us in our strange mixture of ambition for your glory and yet for our fulfilment. Lord, you know how confused those things get within us. We know that, Lord Jesus, you want us to have ambition for your glory. We just present ourselves to you afresh tonight. We say, let your searchlight just go through our hearts. Lord, please win from us the obedience that is really for you, for your pleasure, for your glory, that we diligently listen, we tremble at your word. Lord Jesus, that we know what it is to live for God, that you could trust us, Lord. We would love you to be able to trust us with great success for your glory. We'd love you to be able to trust us, Lord, to see amazing things happen to see the rain flood the place, to see the fire of God fall. We'd love you to bring us to such a place, Lord, that we can handle that. And Father, we pray that you will take us through your training, you will find in us willing hearts, that we may not, Lord Jesus, be wanting to call the tune, wanting to defend our patch. Help us to take every step honouring you, trusting you. Lord Jesus, I pray, let your spirit seal these things in our hearts. Please have a great people for your great name. Bless the churches we represent. Father, keep blessing them. Keep winning us. Keep having a people that are really for you. Thank you that you've loved us so freely. Thank you you want us so much. You're so for us. Lord, win our hearts to the kind of obedience that brings you immense pleasure. Lord, work it in us. We thank you. God is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Keep working in us, we pray, to your praise and to your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen, Will.